Well, it tells us that our body actually responds massively more to having rest and having recovery versus it being pummeled. Like, and I get it. It's not sexy to not go all out, especially when people are putting everything on social media. Like I respect and love the sport of CrossFit a lot. But when the wrong when that information gets in the hands of the wrong folks, they make it seem like it is this sport that is meant to destroy you. And smart CrossFit programming is not supposed to. And so I believe athletes kind of get in that mindset, whether they've been doing their sport for years or they've been watching other people, they feel like it has to be hard or else it's not worthwhile. This is Strength in the Details, a podcast that goes beyond the classic debate on reps, sets, and exercise programming, and focuses on aligning what matters most in your training, nutrition, mindset, and lifestyle. I'm your host, Dr. Anaja Newsom, founder of Optimize Strength. I'm a PhD with a focus in the exercise and health sciences, a coach, and weightlifting athlete. With more than a decade of professional experience in sport and fitness, I truly believe that the impact of mental skills, motivation, and self-efficacy are often overlooked and underappreciated in exercise behavior change, sport performance preparation, and everyday coaching practices. You deserve to feel strong in the gym and beyond. And on this podcast, we dive in to the mental aspects of exercise, training, and sport performance. So join me as I invite industry experts, elite athletes, and coaches and researchers to a conversation about the gritty details. As an experienced coach and athlete, I find myself thinking back to when it all started, when I was a beginner. I spent a long time not knowing what I didn't know. Quality coaching is essential to the development and longevity of high-level sport performance. And if you're new to coaching, or a growing fitness professional, it's so important that you know how to find credible and reliable mentorship and training. My guest on this episode is Jasmine Braxton. She's the owner of Jasmine Braxton Co. and the creator of Coach Unlocked. On this episode, we talk about the process of growing as a coach, major milestones, and the details that they don't teach you in the textbook. Even after more than a decade of coaching, and a whole PhD, I still find that being open to asking questions and learning from others is a vital part of my role as a coach. It's my responsibility. A certification or a credential isn't the end of the journey. It's truly just the beginning. So let's get started, shall we? Welcome back to another episode of Strength in the Details. I'm your host, Dr. Anaja Newsom, and I am here with the host of the Quality Coach Podcast, Jasmine Braxton. How are you, Jasmine? I am well. Thanks for having me, Anaja. This is going to be a very nice conversation, I can tell already. (laughs) I can tell because we've actually been talking for an hour already. Has it been that long? Oh my, oh my. Y'all get ready. Yeah. So I, I'm ex- I'm excited about the things that we're going to jump into. Um, I've been following you for quite some time and you are the expert on 
quality coaching and training our fitness professionals. And I think that's such an important job and such a report, uh, important responsibility. And, you know, over the next couple of minutes, hours, however long we talk, I want to learn more about what goes into being a quality coach and how that impacts our athletes and our in sport performance. I think that is a fine conversation. Let's do that. Yes. Awesome. So tell us about yourself. Tell the listeners who you are and how you got into the business of coaching fitness professionals. My name is Jasmine Braxton. I own Jasmine Braxton Co., which is essentially a professional development company for fitness professionals, specifically personal trainers who are aspiring or new in the space, who don't want to just give a run-of-the-mill service, but actually want to know how to build sound programs, how to have wonderful coaching ability and communication skills, how to actually set a foundation to put a career on top of versus just going into a gym, working on the gym floor, leaving and not really making anything of the craft that they are handling. And so I got started in fitness directly out of undergrad. Um, During undergrad, I thought I was going to go the doctor of physical therapy routes and didn't didn't we all (laughs) all of us started there right like that's what i'm gonna do i'm going to fix injuries i'm gonna make sure people move well yeah no mm -mm. so the internship i had my last year of undergrad was the eye-opener because i realized i did not want to be trapped in a building under fluorescent lights for eight hours a day five days a week looking at the same eight to ten injuries for 40 years. So this was my perception. This is also 2012, y'all. So the perception of what you can do in that space was much different than what we see online now. You see physical therapists doing amazing things with their career because of the power of the internet. So um, this was then. And I, at the time that I was making this decision to not go to DPT school, I was working a part-time job as a personal trainer at a gym. And honestly, it was one of the most fulfilling jobs I've ever had to see something so what I thought was simple and second nature, like movement, to see a movement click in a client's head where they just, they understand now, like they understand how this is supposed to be executed. They understand how it's supposed to feel. It's not happening in a state of pain. And it's happening in a state of confidence because I've helped them build up to that point where they can see themselves making progress and seeing a result that they thought was never for them. That gave me such a deep sense of fulfillment that I was like, this is what I want to do with my career. I got to figure out how to make this work. So I ran with that. And um, just long, longer story short, I you know, went into your typical gym settings and realized that I don't like working for a corporate gym. And so went off on my own. And here we are. Over time, I just pivoted to recognizing that trainers need to be coached properly on how to do their job because it's such a massive responsibility to help take care of our clients. And nobody's actually pointing that out. Like these certification companies are out here to get your money, y'all. Like <laughs> right. they um uh, 
they're marketing companies. They're not education companies. And that is what the big disconnect is and why personal trainers aren't respected in the space as actual, you know, preventative medicine, healthcare workers, because when you really zoom out and look at it, that's what we are. Doctors are disease management. We are healthcare. Wow. Yeah. You know, you brought up some really great points and, you know, we talked off, off air about, um, my role in exercise is medicine. And I really believe that our fitness professionals are that front line to prevent, to prevent illness, to prevent disease and to promote quality of life and health and health care. And so I think that's really a, an important distinction. And unfortunately, it's not something that we can just learn in a, a weekend certification or, you know, studying in a textbook, Absolutely. you know, it's, it's, it's taking the, the, credentialing certification exam is that first step. And I think that's a lot of what I hear you sharing and I, and, and I hear from you. And I, I think that that resonates with, you know, me, I've been in this field for more than a decade. We'll just stop there. I've started saying more than a decade because I feel like if I give a number, I feel like I'm older than I'd like to admit. So. We're, we're in the, we're in the same boat. I just say a decade plus. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after coaches get that initial certification, what are those next steps? And from an athlete's perspective, what should they expect their coach to be doing to continue learning and developing as a professional? Yes, wonderful question. Um, so the next step after getting certified First, keep in mind that the certification is just now it's like someone's opened the gate for you. It is not the end of the journey. It's the absolute beginning. You now have permission to proceed. And what that entails is that you now have to actually go teach yourself how to do this job. Like you actually have to go gain experience. A lot of people, not a lot, a good amount of people get to do have some experience training before they get certified. But most don't. They have textbook knowledge. So now you have to go and have a functional understanding of this knowledge. So getting out and training clients, actually, or getting out and working with athletes, if you're talking from that point of view. Um, also, I think it's synonymous with getting a certification is finding a mentor or at least a group of like minded individuals who have walked your path and they're a bit further ahead along on the road than you are because they can help you. They can give you insight that helps you cut down on the trial and error that helps you cut down on injuring clients because you don't know what you're doing. Um, and more importantly, which I think is the bread and butter of a personal trainer is they can start to help you understand how programs should be laid out. Everyone that, not everyone, but like so many individuals that I see on social media now have no inkling as to how to write a program, like just no clue. They think the notion is that hard means it's good. I'm sorry, anyone can write a difficult program that makes you sweat and feel like you are being destroyed. Anyone can do that. It's a very small pool of people who can go and write a program that is smart, that is, it has restraint. Restraint meaning they are slowly adding in, progressing the 
the intensity, progressing, the speed of which one's moving, progressing, how their client is moving over a period of time. Like to me, that's what a smart program is. One that shows restraint in what they're having their client do and using the most minimum effective dose to see a result. Yeah. I want to challenge you a little bit because you you brought up this this idea of restraint. And as as coaches, as trainers, when we're writing that program, we have mm-hmm. that in mind. We have that progressive overload over a period of time with the appropriate rest and recovery. But athletes don't always see that. They, <laughs> they don't always respect that. And no. they want to go balls to the wall every time they step in the gym. How does a coach minimize that need to feel like from the athlete well if I'm not drenched in sweat and super sore and tired after every session then it's not effective how how does the coach navigate Mm. that yes it is a very simple answer but not easy to execute and that is you have to change their thinking you have to help you use your power of influence as a coach to leverage educating them in a way that they see that that's not necessary and sometimes you have to somehow do a like a case study of sorts this individual works out insanely this individual does 50 percent of the same effort both of these individuals are after they've gone through the novice stage they're pretty much in the same place Mm-hmm. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that our body actually responds massively more to having rest and having recovery versus it being pummeled. Mm-hmm. Like, and I get it. It's not sexy to not go all out, especially when people are putting everything on social media. Like, I respect and love the sport of CrossFit a lot. But when the wrong when that information gets in the hands of the wrong folks, they make it seem like it is this sport that is meant to destroy you. And smart CrossFit programming is not supposed to. And so I believe athletes kind of get in that mindset, whether they've been doing their sport for years or they've been watching other people. They feel like it has to be hard or else it's not worthwhile. So it's our job as a trainer, as a coach, to help deprogram that thinking. In what ways, what strategies, what tips do you think are important for a coach that is trying to make that switch in an athlete or help an athlete make that switch? Good question. Give them an opportunity to to experience what it's like to not do as much. I think it's easier to do that when a client may be experiencing an injury or some other health condition that is negatively affected by the intensity of their sport. It's easier to convince those individuals to do that versus people who are healthy and not worn out and not bogged down. But um, I also think that it's important to bring in the conversation of the topic about overall stress. Mm-hmm. Like if you're thinking about athletes who are still in a collegiate setting, they're not just acting like these professional athletes where their job is to get up, do their sport, go rest and eat and wash, rinse, repeat. A lot of times these athletes, especially at the college collegiate level, 
are also in class. Some of them might have a job. They also have to study. They also have a social life on top of their sport. And they are very disciplined in knowing I can't do all the things at 100, but they're all different stressors that are being applied to one sole individual. And that overall stress has a very negative effect. We can't look, and I'm saying that is because you can't just look at the physical activity itself as being the only stress that you're putting on your body. There is the mental load that goes with that. I love how, I love how uh, Simone Biles stepped out of the Olympics with this past year because she was feeling the stress of the mental stress Mm -hmm. that went into her sport. And I think that athletes can take so many notes from how she, how she handled that because it's not the norm. She got probably got a lot of flack from all sides for doing that while still getting praise for doing that. And so, um, there's to me, there's no one size fits all answer to that question, but I think a lot of it is to restate my previous sentence. A lot of it is just discussing the effect of stress and to give them an opportunity to experience their sport at a lesser intensity to see that it's just as effective. Yeah, that's and you're right. Stress the and the body doesn't realize or note where the stress is coming from, right? It just experiences stress. And that is, you know, how we see an increase in injury, increase in burnout, lack of motivation, and all those things that come with that stress. And and so I think it is really important that coaches, one, can identify where, you know, where that stress might be coming from, or when an athlete is experiencing outside stressors because you know sometimes they take it out on the programming it's the programming and if I hear another athlete tell me about the programming (laughs) I might just throw up but you know it, it it all kind of ebbs and flows as well so you know I appreciate you sharing that that piece um Jasmine you talk a lot about quality coaching it's the name of your podcast. It's kind of, you know, it's what your business and your brand is built on. What are the qualities or what are the characteristics of a quality coach? What should an athlete be looking for when they say, yes, I want you to be my trainer. I want you to be my coach. Yes. Okay. So there, I've always had several points to this answer. I tr- I'll try to condense them all down um, from a very technical standpoint first and foremost you need to know your coach needs to understand the principles of movement so not just we are only going to go out here and you know run sprints and do this and do that but like understanding the foundation of movement stops starts with these five movements hinging pushing pulling squatting carrying do they get that do they understand how to help you be strong and well developed through all the planes of motion do we understand universal, unilateral versus ipsilateral versus contralateral and all these movements, all these, those things that might be over the head of an athlete. It should be what is the constant in a coach's mind, because this is how it, this is where injuries come from, not having balance across the body and going too, too far, too fast or too fast, too soon um, are people who don't understand movement. And so that is to me like primary. (laughs) Um, 
another point it mixed in with that is having an eye for movement mechanics. So can you spot when your athlete is moving with compensation? Like they are, they're, they don't, they lack stability in one area. So they're hypermobile in another area. That is another key skill set that a good coach needs to have. Um, from there, I really think it's important to be able to like modify movements in real time and prove and, and um, problem solve for movement dysfunction because there is nothing that is more, in my personal opinion, from being a coach, embarrassing than when a client or an athlete says, I have pain when I do this movement. And I have no idea what to put in its place to eliminate the pain or to help them still address the same movement pattern, but in a way that does not provoke pain. And that is something that takes um, understanding of how to replace movements. Like we don't want to replace a squat pattern with a overhead pressing pattern. Like those things are not the same at all, but they're like, oh, I'm just filling the space with a movement. It's like, no, we wanted to fill the space with the same movement, but one that doesn't cause a problem. So to me, all of that requires you to understand like biomechanics and biomechanics is like, okay, that is an undergraduate or PhD word, SAT word, whatever we want to call it. Um, but good coaches should understand at a basic level how biomechanics work. And then um, from there is to me, it's like getting into our, I've lifted off technical or our hard skills. And then on the other side of that same coin, we need to address soft skills, like being able to communicate with different personality types is extremely important. If you are an extroverted person and you can't understand and speak to someone who is introverted and reserved because you don't have any idea how they function, that's going to be a barrier. And you're going to have a an athlete coach relationship that may have some tension or resentment in it. And it's because you haven't done the work of understanding a different personality type. So that's something that I think is hugely important. Um and I think it also helps them to deliver a higher quality experience when they are aware of different personality types, different intrinsic and extrinsic motivators, um, different social expectations and things of that nature. Those are the primary skills. How many did I list? I don't know. Two, four. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, think like, I think like four and, and okay. is, it, is it it would suffice to say that if people need more they can reach mm -hmm. out to you and give yes, you the coins to learn more <laughs> right yeah I think I think that we can just we can put it there um, but I think all of those things are really important and I really like the the last one that you mentioned um understanding personality types I actually wrote a paper on understanding how personality traits relate to different type of exercise experiences and different preferences for exercise and how we as as fitness professionals can help our clients maximize their experience and their outcomes by just understanding the type of athlete that they are and the type of personality characteristics that you know embody them and so I really think that that's a really important um, skill set to know uh, for for a coach and it's one that they don't teach you in the certifications right like we talked oh. about 
you know, taking that certification as kind of the, the gateway or the entry point, but that's one that I know that they don't really touch on um, when you're preparing for that certification. So thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, Jasmine, I want to transition uh, because a lot of our listeners uh, on the podcast are, are athletes and they're looking for that extra something. And I truly believe that the making of an elite athlete is not possible without a quality coach. So I wanted to talk about how the qualities of a coach and, and maybe some of these qualities that you just talked about impact that quality or that coach athlete relationship. What role do you see the coach's competency play in an athlete's success? Yo, wonderful questions, girl. You have like the questions down. Wow, you're making me think today. The role, I've always felt this so deeply. Um, I remember one of my my most memorable coaching experiences was when I was eight, my very first softball coach. Um I was someone who just learned how to throw really well and run really fast in my neighborhood. I did not have any pre-training to that. I mean, I'm eight, but there were, believe it or not, there were kids at that age who had had coaches before. And I remember my first practice, I could still smell the grass on the softball field. And it was like one of my schoolmates, dads, you know, your parents teach, I mean, coach a sport, but this, this man was so kind and he was very encouraging and it was the beginnings of me being able to see just how good and valued I can be as an athlete because he was just being welcoming to me now it sounds like a simple thing but if you have had a athlete who is they're they're working from a place of they've been doubted or downcast at any point in their athletic career you being a person who just gives them some fuel gives them the fire the wing the air beneath their wings versus being hard on them you can really unlock some doors to greatness that they might not have known they had access to themselves. A good coach helps you to see the person that you didn't know you could be. And I think that is hugely important because it's underrated. I loved growing up. I played every form of softball you can find. I did travel team, all stars, all the clinics, all the things. And I loved it. It was fun. And then I had that one coach in high school on varsity who thought by encouraging me, he would make me big headed and big headedness would mean that I would be out here being pompous. Obviously, he didn't understand personalities, obviously, because his approach to me was she's my center fielder. She's one of my better players. I'm going to just be hard on her. I'm going to dog her. I'm going to make, I'm going to be hard on her in the batting cage. I'm going to make her do drills that are harder than all the other outfielders when we do skills practice. And you know what it did? It killed my confidence. It absolutely made me feel like I must not have the, I must not have the sauce. So, you know, 
Yes, there are times with stuff like that can happen and it gives you fuel. But at that time in my life, my other stressors were so high. I'm trying to get into an undergraduate program. I'm still trying to work a part-time job. I'm in high school trying to keep my grades up. And I play on a varsity softball team as a leader on the team. And for my coach, my one lifeline to be condescending in any way was not helpful. He was only crushing the spirit that was in me. And so I quit. I quit. I never have quit ever. You're going to take my favorite thing and make it so stressful that I quit. That is the power of a coach when it's leveraged negatively. So we have to keep that in mind when we're working with athletes and we're thinking that being hard on them is going to make them tougher and stronger. You could be just killing them off. Yeah. Sounds, it kind of drives me to my next question, this idea of like communicating, because there are some athletes who they, they want that hard nose coaching that no holes bar, you know, give me, give me the, the truth, don't sugarcoat anything. And I think that to a certain extent, sometimes there's a difference between honesty and transparency and just negativity. Um, so, and so I believe communication to that end is so important. What advice would you have for athletes who, you know, want to provide feedback to the coach about, you know, the things that you experienced? How, how does someone, how does someone communicate with their coach when they are feeling that way in hopes of maybe preventing, you know, someone from quitting the sport that they love? The sandwich method. Okay. <laughs> you know, if you have a hard time talking to your, your, your superior coach or upper or whatever, um, that's saying a lot about that relationship one, but it's helpful to just sandwich the, the, pointed pieces or the constructive criticism, the negative in between two positive things. Because at the end of the day, people are people and they love, whether they show it or not, they love to be complimented or be told they're doing something right. Mm -hmm. So if you take something they're doing well and put it at the beginning and end of something that you're struggling with, that is something I find to be effective and receivable on both ends. So that's one way um, to approach that. But sometimes we just have to, you know, if you need to go say a little prayer and have a hard, hard conversation, go do it. Sometimes hard conversations are necessary and having a difficult conversation can actually help strengthen a relationship between two individuals. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, and, and hard conversations. So I work with younger athletes a lot. And I find that having those hard conversations sometimes is what they shy away from, um, yeah. you know, for fear of hurting someone's feelings or just not using the right words or saying the right words. But I think that they can be powerful, um, both in, you know, negative situations, but also just in general, communication is just important. You know, in what ways have you seen poor communication impact a coach athlete relationship? Yeah, poor relate poor communication a lot of times is when it's there's anger involved. Mm -hmm. When you don't respect the other individual. Um, even when that say if, if it's a situation where the person you're going to go talk to has been disrespectful to you, two wrongs don't ever make a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. It doesn't ever make a right. So you still approach that person with respect. And I think that goes without saying, but maybe for some individuals they've never seen that modeled for them. 
or they've been taught that that's not as important. So they don't do that. And as harsh as this may come across, you cannot withhold sharing something or sharing the truth with someone because you're trying to save their feelings. And I often think, you know, with with how society is now, with how generations are raised now, where it's like you can say what you want to say behind a screen Mm -hmm. and with your using your fingers across the keyboard. But if you were to say that same thing to that person's face, you probably actually wouldn't even say it. You think it and walk away. That is more the norm now than maybe when we were kids. If you had something to say, you had to go say it Mm -hmm. to that person, which I think not having to do that as much anymore has given has not given people the opportunity to develop their confidence to have heart conversations. So confidence is something else that I think is a big factor, but people think that it's just something you have to be born with or you just have to have it already. And I to quite the contrary, confidence is a skill set and you become more confident in things the more you do it the more you put in the reps, the more competent you are around that thing. And so this applies to hard conversations just as much as it does to coaching other individuals. Yeah. Um, you, you talked a little bit about mental skills, like confidence and um, self-awareness, and that that kind of lit up a little bit of a question that I wanted to ask you. Um, what is most important? You know, we, we talked about coaches entering the fitness space and knowing the science, but there's also an art to coaching. So which would you prioritize the science of movement, physical activity, exercise, or the art of coaching? Is there a difference? And could you talk about that difference? Oh gosh. They are so hard to separate. Like, they are hard to separate, but you you can get away with not knowing as much science in the beginning, but you can never get away with treating how you treat people. Mm-hmm. The you just you just can't. That art piece is how you treat people, how you help people to feel or you make people feel. What is your your what energy does your presence give off? Mm-hmm. Okay? Um so again, they're very hard to separate, but um, the art of coaching, in my opinion, has to be supreme across the board because in my membership, in my uh, trainer membership, it's called Coach Unlocked. I have several women who are just, they know the science in and out, really brilliant, but people skills are very lacking. No disrespect to y'all if y'all are listening to this, but y'all know who you are. Um, (laughs) Where it's just like um, connecting why someone should want to stay the course to reach the goals they said they have for themselves is so wildly over their head sometimes because they're like, you said you wanted this. I gave you instructions. Just do it. Yeah. And it's because, you know, behavior change the understanding of behavior changes is not there yet. Mm-hmm. And it's something you have to learn. Um, I recently did a, a training, a lesson on this um, and re- released it on the podcast, talking about leveraging your influence as a coach to help your clients change their behaviors. And the 
biggest point in that whole lesson was that the information alone is not enough. If that were the case, all of us would be out here like squatting as much as we could and looking amazing and feeling amazing and our skin is radiant and our hair is fly and our eyebrows are snatched. Like we we would be all good things. (laughs) And we would not be out here lacking in any way because it just goes to show information isn't enough. It's how you present the information and how you personalize the information so that that person can then internalize it and use it. And um, I think that answers the question. Now I feel like I'm yeah. rambling. <laughs> no, 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 that was really good it, because I, you're right. I think it's, it is hard to separate the science of exercise and fitness from the art of coaching. But if, but I would agree with you if I had to, you know, if you had to force me to pick a side, I feel like the art of coaching and the the humanistic side of behavior change is one that is really hard to learn. But once you get it and once you master that, you know, the the, the science will come and the science is going to change. But the way you connect and communicate with people, I think it's the, you talked about it, giving that higher quality experience, people will walk up. People have walked away from training with me when I was a, when I was a a fitness trainer in like a globo gym, people would come in. I had this, I had this one lady, I will never forget her. She came in diabetic, um, with obesity. She probably had a goal of losing like 65 to 70 pounds. Um, and had some unrealistic timelines set aside to that. And we worked together for about four months. She lost maybe 20 pounds in that time frame, which I think was pretty good. Um, she was disappointed that she didn't reach her ultimate goal. She had to leave. She had to leave. She had some family issues. But when she walked away, she said, I really don't care or remember the specific exercises or the programming or anything that I did. She was like, she did say that God awful treadmill. I'll never forget that part, but everything else I won't remember. But I do remember every time you walked in, you greeted me with a smile and you asked about my daughter because that was something that was important to her. And I think that that experience as a coach and connecting with your clients is something that is so impactful far beyond the reps and the sets and you know the 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 weight on the bar and things like that and I think that just that is so important and I think I I hope that athletes hear that and hear that perspective from you um that the connection that we have with people is is so important especially in this space of behavior change yes I'm I, I couldn't have said that better that's a wonderful example that client that you mentioned is a wonderful example of that I have a very similar story and People like Maya Angela said it best. People will forget what you said and what you did, but they'll never forget how you, you made them feel. Mm-hmm. And humans are humans, no matter what point in time we are, people and what they need to feel safe and welcome and supported, it doesn't really vary that much. Yeah. What can what things can an athlete do? or invest in to set them apart? I mentioned before, mentorship, if you don't have someone in your corner, if you're not 
in the environment that helps you level up, so to speak, you will you will flounder. I talk about this. Um, I don't know. I think I may have written it in an email to my newsletter subscribers, but uh, I floundered for like the first five years of my personal training career because I just didn't have anyone helping me along, helping me to understand this this craft and understand the importance, the weight of responsibility that I had as a coach, you know, to positively affect someone's health. Um, when I, I, I like to think of fitness, it's a means to an end. It's a vehicle mm-hmm. to help people make progress in all other areas of their life. Because when a person is using fitness to you know, better their health, at the same time they're learning how to lift heavy, they're also becoming more mentally resilient. Mm-hmm. And they're they're disciplining themselves. They're learning how to do hard things. They learn that they can persevere over hard things. And that translates into other categories of someone's personal life in their family relationships, in their careers, in their passion projects. It just, there's no end to how fitness can help you have the tools and the mental fortitude, the mental grit to do things that are not easy. They're difficult. I I have a five-year-old son and I am not one of those parents who runs to him and fixes something whenever he's like, mom, this is hard, or I can't, or he cries. I assure him that, hey, I understand. It's, but not think, not everything's gonna be easy. Things are gonna be hard sometimes. I don't shield him from understanding that hard things happen. And you know what? There's so much more fulfillment out of completing something that's hard or persevering or what the word is not on it's not coming to me right now but being able to accomplish something that was difficult will make you feel a sense of fulfillment that someone just handing it to you can never give Mm -hmm. and right and so I honestly think that having mentorship for a for an athlete who's starting is wanting to be different who's wanting to stand out having mentorship and recalling that it matters more about the person internally how they feel and connecting on connecting to them around how they think those are the things that's going to set you apart from every single trainer on Instagram who's not doing that you know right. We often feel like, oh, this is such a saturated market. How can I stand out? How can I be, you know, outstanding? It's the things that are unsexy, but that really mean something. It's okay, having a a lot of people who say who think that what you're doing looks cool and saying, Oh, yeah, I want to work with you. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But retaining people because you not only get them results, but you help them feel like with you is the place. I don't need to go find someone else. Mm -hmm. Your retention level, that is where it's at. That speaks volumes to the quality of your work. Awesome. We've spent a lot of time together today. um, And I 
I enjoyed it. I've written down so many good gems that I and takeaways that I hope people will will make note of. Where can people find you and connect with you and work with you? Yes. So in all the places on Instagram and as far as a website, I am jasminebraxton.co. That's C-O. Um, I love when people reach out in DMs where there's a voice memo or just a written response telling me, hey, I found you at this place. I love these things. Or just tell me your story. If you disagree with me, I'm cool with that too. We can talk. Yeah. I am fine with a little bit of debating. Just know I was on debate team, so you're going to get it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, Noted. all right. <laughs> but I enjoy connecting with people. That is a core value of mine. So definitely come find me, jasminebraxton.co on Instagram. Um, and Yes, I also have a podcast called The Quality Coach Podcast. Um, I pretty much we go in detail about topics like this, where if you want to be a, a good quality trainer, a good quality coach, you want to help your clients. It is a wonderful podcast for that, especially if you're trying to start your career in the fitness industry. And I hope you don't mind that I'm put a shameless plug in for my membership. Oh, do that. Please do that. <laughs> So and I, I will mentioned tag it in the notes and everything. Right. <laughs> okay. So I mentioned um earlier on in this conversation, but this year I launched the community for personal trainers called Coach Unlocked. And it is for um new and aspiring personal trainers who are just trying to actually learn how to do the job of coaching clients, like the actual training. So it's not a business membership where I'm just telling you how to make moolah. We talk about that too. But I'm also teaching you, this is how you take care of people. This is how you write programs for them. This is how you connect with them on a deeper level. Um, and so I would love to have you there. Come join me. So I will make sure that people know where to find you, that they can connect with you. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Um, before I let you go, though, this podcast yes. is all about finding strength in the not so obvious aspects of fitness and sport. So what is the one detail that helps you tap into your own strength? Don't be afraid of your power. I think okay. that's it. Like, it's, put all your blinders on. So everybody wants to talk now. Most people, this is what I do for myself. So this is what I'm gonna share with you, at least. Mm -hmm. Most people have the answers and the brilliance to any and everything they want already living in them. We just don't sit still long enough and be quiet long enough to dig it up. Wow. Okay. That's powerful. That's oh. powerful. Sit with yourself. Listen, go inside. It's already there. Yes. And I, this is being spoken from an extrovert. So I get how hard it is to be quiet and sit still. Okay. <laughs> um, I get it. <laughs> I am an introvert. So I can sit still all day. Actually, oh, boy. everyone in my home is gone for work. So I'm going to go sit still and be quiet. Uh, I look forward to that. Jasmine, thank you so much for joining the podcast. This was excellent. I cannot wait to share it. Um, I will include all of your information in the show notes so that people know where to find you and where to connect with you and look for your offers. Um, again, thank you so much. And I hope that you have a great rest of your day. Amazing. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Before you sign off, if this episode was helpful for you, I'd love to hear from you. Be sure to take a moment to subscribe to the podcast, rate, and review. 
and then share with your other strong friends. If you're looking for more podcast episodes or content on fitness, nutrition, sport performance, or if you just want to connect with me for coaching, you can head on over to my website, optimizestrength.co, or follow me on Instagram at PhD. I'd love to hear from this community. If there are topics you want to hear about or guests you'd like to hear from, drop me a note. Until next time, may your squats be strong and your lifts be big. Here's to going beyond the reps and getting to the strength in the details.